Heavenly Father, we do ask you, um, we ask you to come into this place. Um, What we're studying is history, but it's not just history. It is life. It is life that brings transformations. Um, Father, we know that you know every detail, every story, every struggle, every obstacle in this room. I pray right now that you could um, make your word real clear to us today. And John is passionate. May we leave here more passionate than we walked in. Um, Thank you, Father, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. I I realize this is funny. I never say who I am. I mean, you know, I just kind of stand up here and start talking. So I realize I didn't introduce myself last week to those of you that I don't know personally or, you know, my name is Chris Murphy, and I'm here to try to help us muddle through um, this awesome text each week, and so that's who I am. But that like it struck me while I was sitting over there. I thought I have never even said my name. And for those of you that are here for the first week, for your first week, I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad that you're here. Um, as you'll soon find out, this is an environment where we are all learning together. Amen. Um, some of us slower than others. I'm a little slowish, so forgive me. Um, but we're excited that you've chosen to be here with us. And every week we're going to have worship and we have our wonderful Matt filling in for our sweet little Nicole who had her baby um, a couple of weeks ago and he's doing well. But we just love getting to spend that time in worship and get our hearts right, you know, before we open God's word. I know sometimes it can feel like a history book, um, but I want you to know that it is so much more than that. So with that, I do want you to go to open up your Bibles to First John. Now, I said this a little bit last week, but I want to clarify. Every week, we're doing this a little different than Psalms. If you were here for Psalms, we're glad that you came back. Um, but we're doing this a little different. Every week, we are going to go line by line through the text that you studied for the week. Psalms was a big, massive undertaking, right? So we kind of, we didn't get to do that as much. But this is going to be so fun because you guys are going to do the homework and you're going to Dwell in the I don't know. Anybody? Anybody there this week? I was dwelling hard in the I don't know, guys. Um, But you're going to spend time in that homework. Then you're going to go into discussion. You're going to cover that text again. And then in here, we're going to cover it again. And so hopefully maybe enlighten you to some things that maybe you didn't catch or that maybe God just wants to remind us that are a little different than the first two times. So um, it'll be cool. By the time we get out of here, we'll have this first chapter down pretty well, I think. Um, So... Before I, got started, before I get started specifically in this first John text, I want to point out something to you guys. Our John, the lesson this week, is titled A Credible Witness. Did y'all see that? It's called A Credible Witness. John, from the very first few verses of this letter, explains how he is a firsthand eyewitness to what was going on with Jesus. A firsthand eyewitness. Like, I I looked up the difference between, because I kept hearing the word eyewitness and witness. I'm like, okay, what's the difference? What's the definition that's different? I'll tell you this. When when there's an eyewitness, that means they saw it. That means they were present when it happened. And a witness is just somebody that furnishes proof that it happened. Okay? So what we have in John is we have this eyewitness testimony. Something else that was kind of interesting Remember we talked about what, what, kind of, what kind of text is this? What is it categorized as? It's a letter. 
okay? So it's a letter. And so remember how we talked about in some of the other letters in the New Testament? They start out with a very clear salutation, like 2 Peter or 1 Peter starts out. He tells who he is. I'm Simon Peter, a servant, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. So he says, this is who I am, and this is who I'm writing to. But does our John do that? No, he doesn't do that. Last week we talked a little bit about he has authority. And so at this point, when he's writing this letter, he is a very well-known father of the church. In fact, he's the only living apostle that was actually there to touch and to hear and to listen to Jesus firsthand. So I find it funny that our John goes right into the letter. He doesn't even give us any like, hey guys, what's up? How's the weather? What's going on? He just launches right into this truth that like hits you with a baseball bat. Am I right? Um, And so that's how... Our letter starts this week. If you'll remember, we talked a little bit last week about who he's writing it to, who he's writing it to. Remember, he's writing it to these churches that were, I think the technical term for it was they were a mess. They're a mess. They're these brand new baby churches that just emerged. Remember, we're only 100 years from when Jesus was um, walking and, and doing his ministry, we're 25 years removed from the last apostles that died, or excuse me, that Peter and Paul, when they passed away. So we're about a generation removed from Jesus walking around hanging out, okay? And so what he's doing is he's got this church that's kind of in a mess. They've got all these people rising up that are telling him things that conflict with what John knows to be true about Jesus because he was what? He was an eyewitness, He was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. So you got these churches that are receiving this letter, and they're like full of liars and people that are hateful and people that don't want to love the unlovable, and they're self-righteous, and they're lifting their ideas above God's ideas. And we also talked last week about how some of that stuff is happening now, right? You know, it's always good to remember who's writing, what's happening, who he's writing to. But also then we can see how this is still applicable to where we are right now. So that's what's happening. We have him writing this letter to these churches. Are these problems rare? Are, they, are these problems rare in the communities of faith? People lying. People elevating their ideas. People being self-righteous and judgmental and hateful. I wish they weren't. But they really are the norm often. And it's heartbreaking, right? And so at this time, it really is the norm. And so John is passionate. That's the word that I kept, I kept coming up with. Like I kept trying to think of like um, synonyms and stuff like, but I was like, dude, he is passionate. This guy is bold. He is not kidding around. He didn't tell you who he is. He doesn't tell you who he's writing to. He just gets right into it. He's passionate about what he has to say. Why is he passionate about it? Because he believes it. He believes every word, right? Are there things in your life that you're super passionate about? Other things, I know there are because I'm friends with some of y'all on Facebook. So, I know there are things we are passionate about. But usually, if I'm showing a lot of passion, it means because I believe it with everything I am, right? And so that's who John is. So, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this text, and it's going to be really broken down into two parts. And I'm going to kind of do two, three different things. We're going to start with um, this first, this first idea, this first chapter um, 1, verses 1 through 4, and really, this is like a proper biblical view of Christ, okay? And I titled it Christ or Nothing. It's Christ or Nothing. It's, he, he doesn't hold back. So that's the first thing we're going co- to cover. The second part is verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. 
verse 5 through 2, verse 2. And that's the um, idea that these are the things that the world must know. This is John saying, I have got to get this out. The world must know. These are biblical, proper biblical views of sin. And then the third thing before we leave, I'm going to leave you some words for being a witness. So we're going to talk about that. So we're going to talk about um, Christ or nothing, the world must know, and then words for the witnesses. So our first section, that, that um, first part, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read this out loud, not like you haven't read it a few times this week. Am I right? How'd you like reading through the entire thing in one big chunk? You all did it, right? It's very quiet. No one is making eye contact with me. No one will look at me. There's benefit to it, I promise you. If you can just conjure up the patience and the ability to sit down and do it, it'll pay off. Um, But what we're going to do here, I just want you to listen. You don't even need to follow along. I just want you to listen to the words read out loud. Sometimes they make a little more sense than when you're reading it yourself, right? So verses 1 through 4 go like this, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have the fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Now, if you're like me, and this is where I get real honest, and so I hope you come back. I first read that and I'm like, I don't even, I can't even make sense of some of that, right? Some of it is just, it sounds like rhetoric, to be honest. And I'm kind of irritated at John because I kind of like that he's, I like that he's in my face, but I want him to be a little more clear. But when you break this thing down, it really does get very clear, very fast. And so think of it this way. What you have is we have a John basically telling them this. Christianity began with Christ. He moved into our neighborhood. Remember that part? A couple books ago, he moved into this neighborhood, he showed us how to live, and he died for our sins. Okay, so Christianity begins with Christ, but Christianity continues with authoritative testimony by apostles and others. Okay, so it starts with Christ, it continues with these apostles, and then others. So right now, we've got John continuing on this truth. It's his responsibility to tell the truth about Jesus. That's what these first four verses are. He's saying, okay, so here's a problem. There is no Christianity without Christ. And these people in these churches right now, are kinda, they're kind of taking Christ out. Remember those Gnostics we talked about that are kind of clouding the understanding of who Jesus Christ said he was? And so John is saying, okay, so it, there can't be Christianity without Christ. So the first thing I got to do in my letter, forget who it's to or who wrote it. I'm going to tell you right now who Jesus Christ is. And you have to understand that I know Because I did what? I saw him and I touched him and I heard him and I know and I'm passionate about it. More than Facebook passionate. This great quote I found was from an author named Malcolm Mulgridge. Okay, and he said this when talking about Christianity and Christ and how Christ fits into this religion, if you will, he says this. 
It is Christ or nothing. It is Christ or nothing. And I couldn't get that, I couldn't get that quote out of my brain. The whole time I was looking at all this, I thought, yeah, it is. All these other words that scared Chris when Chris was studying and dwelling in the I don't know, I just have to take it back to, yeah, it's all Christ or it's nothing. And that's what John wants us to know through four verses. So he's going to do this. He's going to share with us how he's going to testify to truth. And when you testify, remember you're an eyewitness. So you're standing up and saying, this is what I heard, saw, touched. Okay, and then he's going to go into um, declaring truth. And I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a minute. So before we go into that, I want to talk about testifying. Okay, so here's our John. We've just read through how he tells us we've seen with our eyes, we've heard with our ears, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the word of life here is actually referring to Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about the specific ways Jesus is referred to here in, a, in um, just a few minutes. But I want you to consider this. This is where I get really nerdy. Okay, so I started looking into like the whole um, testimony. You know, when you, get, when, you, when you think about a court and think about attorneys and, and they're giving testimony. So there are really kind of two types of testimony. There's two types of ways that I'm going to try to get you to believe what I saw. Okay? One is objective truth. Objective truth. And what that means is that's truth that is not influenced by personal feelings, opinions, um, or opinions in considering representing facts. Okay? That is, that's what that is. And, and the second type of truth that I would testify about would be subjective truth. Okay? And so that is based on or influenced by personal feelings or experiences or opinions, okay? So they're two different things, right? But they're not, one is not less valuable than the other. They just may have more power depending on what you're trying to convince somebody of. Um, so I came up with a really, um, a really good example of this. So show me that one picture that I have. So I've got a friend who is not in the photograph, but... She, she owns those things. There's these three dogs that she has. And aren't they perfect? And see, so here's the objective truth, right? That's three dogs. That's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of fur. But they're so cute. Well, that's, that's, that's subjective. But anyway, three dogs. So we can touch them and we can feel them and we can hear them. I promise they, you can hear them sometimes. Um, so that's truth. That's objective truth. Now, let's go to the next picture. So there's this other part. So if you can see that my friend Shauna is the one that owns these creatures, and she has this love for these dogs. And every time I talk to her, she's like, oh, my babies, they're so good. And I'm like, um, so, so that's a subjective thing, right? She loves that dog. She loves all those dogs. But sometimes they do things, well, you get the whole idea, I think. Objective and subjective. Okay, two different ways to make a point, two different types of testimony. I wish we could leave that the whole time. It'd probably make it way more fun. Um, so let's take a look at um, the objective truth that John shares, okay? The objective things. Now remember, he's trying to make these people, he's passionately, boldly telling them, you must listen to me now. You must hear what I have to say. I have to tell you now. And so he's telling them, hey, there are three things. I have heard, I have seen, and I've touched Jesus. I know these things without a question. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. If you go back and look in the Gospels, 
you see it over and over. And I, I just pulled a couple of verses that just popped out to me. You know, when you think about all the things that the disciples heard. Remember last week we talked about that Jesus had his three compadres, you know, his homies, his guys, the three guys. And John was one of them. And so there were times that John, and you might, have, you might have written some of this in your homework, come across it. I think there was a question actually that had us look some things up where you realize like, wow, he was there for like a lot of stuff, like real big important stuff, purposeful stuff. Um, I started thinking through, remember um, in John 7, verse 46, if you did John with us a few years ago, that there were even guards that were coming to take Jesus away. And you know what they said? They said, no one has ever spoken this way the way this man does. So even these guys that didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was, still heard this and thought, whoa, we have heard something special. So what more did Jesus' buddy, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, what more does he carry with him that he got to hear? He also had seen things, right? And you probably think, um, even if you didn't study John, you're probably thinking through, like, we can all kind of come up with some Jesus stories that maybe we heard even at Sunday school when we were kids or whatever about, you know, miracles that occurred and that, that we know that the disciples were there for, that the transfiguration, you know, that, that normal little thing that happened on the mountaintop when, you know, a couple important dudes showed up and light was going. It was crazy, right? But John was there and he saw all that. And then you think about, that they touched him. They touched him. And, and I don't know if you think about this, but the first thing I think about is when Jesus came back, and this is in Luke 24, when he came back and he appeared to his disciples inside a locked room, guys, you know, just to make it a little more dramatic, inside a locked room and he appears to them and he looks at Thomas, right? Our Thomas, who we are all doubting Thomases at times. And he says to them, touch me and see. He heard He saw and he touched. He speaks with authority and passion because he knows objectively with proof as an eyewitness that he saw all this, this Jesus, what he did. Subjectively, verses two through four kind of of focus in a little bit on the more subjective things. Now, this was interesting to me because there were a couple little language things here that I didn't catch the first time through. And so I hope that this is surprising to you, but also exciting. Um, you know, subjective truth is that stuff that we said is based on um, personal feelings or experiences, that kind of thing. So John doesn't just talk fact here. He also talks personal experiences here. And he starts in verse 2. And let me read it to you and remind you what it says. It says, the life was made manifest. Make note of that word. I think we defined it this week, didn't we? And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was, now make note of this, made manifest to us. Did you catch that? That manifest appears twice there. Two very different meanings. The word manifest, the first usage of it, is basically saying that something appears or it makes clear. So if you have an NIV, I think somebody pointed out the NIV version actually uses the word appears. But in the ESV, it says manifest. What's so different about the second time where it says manifest to us? Now, there's a couple things to realize. When he's saying us and he's speaking in the we, he's not just being, you know, the fancy English we. He's saying, he's speaking as though he's remembering back all of his compadres, his disciples, those guys that were there. 
okay? He's using them as the we. So when he says manifest to us, what he's saying is this time it was personal. This time it was personal. He says when God makes something appear and become clear, it's one thing. But at this point, he tells the disciples something different. When it's manifest to them, guys, all of a sudden things became clear to them and they believed and their souls were changed. Manifest to us is personal. And that's what John wants us to know. Guys, I've been changed by this. This isn't just something that appeared and I saw and I wrote down notes. It changed me. That's one way that John shares subjective truth. Another thing, um, in the, in the um, first few verses, he uses a word in the Greek for see. For see. And the word that he uses is horeo, and it's H-O-R-A-O, if you want to write that down, if you're a Greek nerd. Um, and you know what's interesting about that choice? Like, there were several different ways you could use the word see, but the one he chose was is translated this way, and he used it three times in that first John passage, that we see with understanding, that we see with understanding. You know, he moves past the, I just saw some stuff, and I was there, and I saw some stuff, to I saw some stuff, and guys, I understand things in a whole different way, right? So it became this subjective truth for John. I don't know if you can tell, but when you read this, you can tell there's passion. He's not just reading something. He's reading it with passion and boldness and hope. The word kept coming to me. I kept thinking, he doesn't want any of us excluded from this. I think that's what he's trying to say here. Hey, guys, i got to tell you something. It's so exciting. I've got to tell you, and I want you to know, and I want you to believe, and I want you all to take it with you. That's what John is saying. So he gives us that eyewitness testimony. He testifies as a firsthand witness. He tells us, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, this is what I touched. But then he also declares some truth in the next few verses. He declares some truth. As we move into these verses three and four, he, he uses, there's this one primary verb that when you look at the Greek, the primary verb there is the word declare. And so he says it a couple of different ways, right? He says testifying in verse 2. He says proclaiming. He says writing. This is what you need to know. That word that he uses in the Greek really just means to, be, to make something known. To make something known. It's like he can't remain silent. He can't remain silent about it. So John shows us that witnessing means sharing spiritual experiences and um, with others, right, in words and the, ways we, the way we speak. But he also shows us that it's how we live our lives. So here when he's declaring the truth, he's explaining some things that are, are a little different than what he said in the first few verses. So stay with me here. He says this word, proclaiming. He says proclaiming. When he goes into saying proclaiming, he says... Let me reread it to you. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So he's saying we're proclaiming so that you may have what with us? Fellowship. Is that, did that just weird you out like big time? When you saw that word, you're like, what? I don't even understand. What are we doing? We have brunch? I don't get it. He uses that word four times, guys, four times. And so if there's anything that we have learned in studying God's word, what have we learned when it's repeated over and over? There's purpose. 
there's something that we need to gain from it. So understand this, that the word, the Greek word for that proclaiming there is it actually means that something significant is in common. Some people have said, well, does that mean salvation? Because if he's saying, you know, that we have seen and heard and proclaim and all these things, so we have fellowship with us. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, it just might mean salvation. And here's why. Think about this. John goes on to tell us that we may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, Verse four, and we are writing these things so that, your joy, so that our joy may be complete. Think about this for just a minute. When you think about fellowship, it's kind of like you consider it as a lack of conflict. Am I right? Fellowship is a lack of conflict. Now, if you have fellowship or conflict, it can be vertical. Is that right? Oh, that's vertical. Okay, horizontal. And that's me, you, that's us. That's um, if I'm having conflict with, with people here that are right here with me. Vertical conflict would be conflict with who? God. Would you agree, is it a stretch? Would you agree that when you are having conflict with the Lord, whatever that looks like, that it makes relationships a lot more difficult? Is that true? I mean, girls, we go up and down, right? We all go up and down. We're not always in this perfect mountaintop of fabulous fellowship with the Lord. I mean, that's what's interesting about how he calls it a walk. A walk is a long, continuous thing that's always changing. And so when we look at this word proclaiming and we want you to have fellowship, it's basically John saying, hey guys, we're telling you this stuff so that you can understand that we have this Jesus Christ and this God relationship that can change all these other relationships. So is he talking about salvation? Yeah, kind of. Think you can make that, I think you can make that stretch. The second thing that he says there, uh, down in verse 4, he says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, I read that a hundred million times and went, Really? That is making your joy complete? Writing this thing to these crazy people that you've already kind of determined or going off the deep end? Writing to complete our joy. Consider this. Salvation through Jesus Christ. For eternity, that's in verse 2, fellowship with the Father and Son forever, that's in verse 4. God is glorified when we find joy in him through salvation. Did you hear that? God is glorified when we find joy in him through salvation. And John is sitting here saying, hey guys, if we could get to this, this common understanding of this common Savior and we can have this common Father, then we can commonly experience joy together. Does that make it a little clearer? That's what John's hope is. Well, this was kind of interesting. As I was thinking through all this, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor and is awesome. And he said, okay, I said, all right, so John is this eyewitness. And he had all these truths and he shared all these truths, right? And he told all these things so that he could make people understand who Jesus was. And my buddy said, you know what it is? It's like a backpack. It's like, what are those truths that God reveals to you that you're an eyewitness to as you go through your life and you carry them in a backpack and you're going for that walk and you carry them and you have them and you pull them out when you need them. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. But you know what I like better than that? I like patches better than that. I like patches. Okay, so you've seen me carry this bag, some some of my friends. This is what made me think about that. I thought, okay, while putting truths that God shows you in a bag that you can carry with you on a journey is fabulous. 
there's something really valuable about carrying those truths on the outside of who you are and how you live where people walk up to you and go, hey, what's that patch for? Hey, what's that? Why do you, why do you talk like that? Why do you think that? Instead, you're not only just taking all these little nuggets of truth and carrying them with you on your journey, but you're sharing them. You're talking about them. And, and that's what John's telling us. He's saying, hey guys, I've got this awesome, he didn't, he didn't just have all these great eyewitness firsthand testimonies and then just kind of tuck them in his pocket and then just go about his little life, did he? No. He went and he told. And he's telling us. You can carry a backpack, but all those truths that God shows you along the way, don't stuff them inside. Put them on the outside where people see them. So here's the principle for this section. That faith is remembering where God has taken us, but passion is boldly declaring it. Faith is remembering where God has taken us, but passion is boldly declaring it and sewing it on the bag. Well, John tells us by testifying as an eyewitness, then he declares truth just to make sure we're clear on it. And then he moves into this whole new section, right? This whole light and dark thing. Yeah? He, he, he goes into this whole thing about sin and about who God is. And so really the way I looked at this is he's basically telling us this is what we all need to know. The world needs to know this. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about who he is. So now what do we do with the rest of it? Why do we need a savior? Why do we need an advocate or a propitiation, which we're going to talk about those big giant words in a minute. Um, can, I, can I say this with love and love? If sin wasn't a problem, we wouldn't have to teach babies and puppies how to be good. Amen? We, the sin thing, we are super good at that. Like, I'm excellent at it. I don't know. I'm like a professional. I'm sure none of you are, but like, did you ever think about that? Like, we don't really have to be taught how to be sinful. That's just in our nature. And so John needs us to understand, okay, you know who this Jesus is? Now you need to know why you need him. And that's where he's going to tell us some things. So he's going to tell us this. He's going to tell us what the world needs to know about who God is. He's going to tell us what the world needs to know about what sin is. That's super fun. And then he's going to tell us what the world needs to know about who Jesus is in relation to all that. Okay? Let me read that section to you. Don't fall asleep. I can see your eyes. Ready? We're going to start with verse 5 and go through um, chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while... We walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And that truth is not in us. If we confess those sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, 
And Jesus, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin and not for ours only, but for also for all the sins of the whole world. That is a whole bunch of truth crammed into 12 verses, right? Tons. We're going to try to break it down, okay? The first thing he talks about is he wants us to understand who God is. Did you like that cool metaphor? It was pretty fun, right? In Bible study standards. So who does he say God is? God is what? What was the metaphor? He's light, correct. I'd love to get to hear some of your questions, some of your answers on those questions on the homework about how you talked about there's different kinds of light and there's different purposes. And I just think that is so cool and so easy for us to apply to our lives, right? It's easy for us to understand. Um, Did you realize that over 275 times in the Bible do we see that metaphor of light for God or for Jesus? And over 95 times in the New Testament. Um, If you did Psalms with us, you got some light because we did a lot of that. Um, But if you want a a list of those verses, come find me. I have a lot of them. But I want you to remember that, that he's making very clear who God is. Because before he's going to define the darkness and what sin is, he wants you to understand who God is. That's the most important thing. Because what did we say this Bible is about? It's about God. He is light. Something else to consider when we're thinking about who God is. the The whole Trinity thing can get so confusing sometimes, and I get it. But I want you to grasp this. When we talk about God, we're talking about God in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay? When we're talking about Jesus, when John's talking about Jesus in verses 1 through 4, he calls Jesus the word of life. He calls Jesus the eternal life. He calls Jesus the Father's Son. He calls Jesus the source of fellowship and the source of joy. These two are not to be separated from one another. Do you understand that? We're not to take these two and separate. We're to understand that Jesus is light. His Father is light. That's who our God is. The second thing John wants us to know that the world must know is what sin really is. What sin really is. He talks about it in verses 6 through 10. And he compares it to darkness. Accurate? Accurate metaphor? I heard in our small group that people said, yeah, accurate, because sin is um, a hiding place. And we like to pretend like it's not there, so we hide it in the darkness, right? We all have it. True? I found, um, this was interesting, I found this this commentary, and it talked about, there was this, um, this author, his name's Carl Menninger, and in the 70s, there was this big movement where pastors were starting to preach, I think it was maybe the birth of the whole, this is, that's Chris talk, of um, the whole prosperity gospel thing, where we're just not going to say that, that S word. We're not going to use sin in, in our big, you know, teachings, in our, and, and all of a sudden, it's like sin just kind of, we quit talking about it. And everybody just kind of was talking about God is love and all these things. But we don't want to talk about sin because if we talk about sin, what do we have to do? we got to look in the mirror and deal with it, right? And so in his book, he gave this great um, paragraph in talking about this whole, this mystery of why we feel like we have the right to remove sin from God's word and from what he wants us to understand. He says this, he says, It is surely nothing new that men want to get away from acknowledging their sins or even thinking about them. 
Is this not the religious history of mankind? Perhaps we are only more glib nowadays and equipped with more euphemisms. We can speak of error and transgression and infraction and mistakes without the naive exposure that goes with serious use of that old-fashioned word, sin. We hate that word, don't we? It is ugly and gross, and we hate it. Well, John throws it in our face for like about 12 verses. So we got to deal with it, right? We got to deal with it. Here's what John says. Notice this, and I mentioned this earlier. He uses this inclusive we when he's talking about this part. I love that. That, that kind of slipped right past me when I was doing my homework. And then I thought, you know what's cool about John is he wants to make it clear that anyone, anytime, anywhere sins. Any one of us does. John included. I needed that because sometimes I can elevate these authors to something that they were not. They were just guys like us. Well, we're not guys. Well, some of us are. But don't elevate something that is not in Scripture. John is saying we. We are sinful. I love that about John. He talks about this. He says we are on a walk. And if we walk in the light, then we're good. But a lot of times we do what? We hide in the dark. You know what word I heard a lot when we were talking through our groups today? I heard the word fear a lot. Did anybody hear that word a lot? Fear. We're fearful of exposing sin. We're fearful of it getting out because we have these ideas in our mind of what that looks like. But really, we need it exposed to the light, right? John goes on to say three different times. He says this term, if we say. Do you see that? In... um, It starts in verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do nothing. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, Jesus, his son, cleanses us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth that is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. And then it goes on in verse 10 to say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Three times John points out that sin is so entrenched in lying, so entrenched in lying. In verse um, 5 and 6, he says, if we say, and that's us lying to others. I'm lying to everyone else about my sin. Because if I just, if I kind of lie and I make it not so bad, then it really, maybe it's really not really a thing. Right? And then the next verse, uh, verses 8 and 9, we lie to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. All those times that we like try to cover it up and act like, well, it's not that bad, or it's certainly not as bad as hers is, and so I'm good. And we kind of tell ourselves those lies, right? And the third way he calls us and says that we lie to cover our sin is that we lie about God. That verse 10, that got me right in the gut. That if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. He says, he points out that we are sinful. Bad news, right? Bad news? There's good news, though. Good news always has to come after the bad news. It's a progression. Here's the thing. We are not in a state of sinlessness. If we are, then we're calling God a liar. Because God says we are sinful and we needed Jesus and he had to come and he had to die for us. So if you're saying you're not sinful or your sins aren't as bad as other people's or you have this whole theology that you've kind of made up when it involves the S word, we got to talk 
about what Jesus says. The third thing we have to understand is that we need to know who Jesus is in relation to all this sin and the light and all this stuff, okay? And verses, um, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that's where we deal with that. There's those two words, remember? I'm pretty sure we looked them up, those two words in our homework. One was advocate, and really what that means is he's our helper, right? He's for you. And there's that propitiation, that big word that means something was satisfied, right? So not only did he come to earth and he died for our sins, the S words that we try to avoid and pretend like don't really happen, he died for those things, but he's sitting up there and he is rooting for you and cheering for you and whispering in God's ear on your behalf. Does that blow your mind? Blows my mind. That is who our Jesus is. God is light. Sin is darkness. And Jesus is our advocate, our atonement, our propitiation. All we need. We could, we won't. You come back next week. We could close the book right now and say, you know what? That's pretty good truth right there. Right? The principle for this section is this. That God who is light gives life, wait, God who is light and gives life has come to us as the light of the world in his son, Jesus Christ. Say that again. God who is light and gives life has come to us as the light of the world in his son, Jesus Christ. All right. We did one chapter and two verses, and I feel like we have so much truth, it is just going to be oozing out of us when we walk out of here. Am I right? So much. John witnessed Jesus and his ministry, right? He was an eyewitness. He saw and he heard and he touched, and he boldly shared spiritual experiences in the way he lived his life, and he declared things that were not popular. Because Why? Because he wanted to make sure we all knew. Because Jesus told him, remember back in Acts, we talked about it last week. Jesus said to them, now go to the ends of the earth and tell everyone. And he did that to this end of the earth, right? So here's a challenge I'm giving you. You're going to love me for this. I'm giving you a challenge. Well, let me start with this part. There's three things I want you to understand before I give you a challenge. I want you to know this. Hear me, you are of great value to God. You are of great value to him. You are of great value to him. Not you as a whole, I mean you individually. He knows your name. He came and died for you individually. So you are of great value to him. The second thing I want you to know is this, that he is present even in the most seemingly mundane tasks that you're going through in your life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do. That whatever you do, that counts, okay? Like that encompasses like all the stuff. Changing diapers, driving carpool, going to physical therapy, going to funerals. Whatever you do, Okay? He's present in every one of those moments. Here's the problem. When you think he's not present, you know what the problem is? It's you. God bless you. I love you. We don't see him sometimes because we're too busy looking at our own stuff to see that God is right there with us in it. 
And the third thing I want you to know is that the world needs to know this. The world needs to know this. They don't put stuff in a backpack that nobody sees. Put it on the outside that everybody asks about. Don't pretend to be one person when you're on Facebook and then be another person here for two hours on Wednesday morning. Amen? We can't do that, guys. We can't do that because people are looking at us and they're trying to figure out why you don't have any patches on your, you've been to 20,000 Bible studies and you don't have any, you're not telling anybody. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little excited. (laughs) I'm going to challenge you to do something for seven days, okay? A seven-day eyewitness challenge. Here's your challenge. You are to pray. You are to pay attention and you are to tell. You are to pray, you are to pay attention, and you are to tell. Here's what I want you to do. When you go live your life, quit calling things a coincidence. Amen? I hate that word. I never want to hear it again. No coincidences. Quit seeing things and going, oh, I'm so blessed. Okay, well, you know what? If you're so blessed, tell God about it and tell other people about it. I don't mean go tell them you got a brand new, you know, Mercedes, I don't care, don't tell them that. But how about telling this, God takes such good care of me? We gotta work on how we, how we talk about being blessed, right? And when you are hopeful, when it seems hopeless, acknowledge who brought you there. You didn't do it by yourself. And when you're peaceful in the midst of pain, acknowledge who's sitting next to you. And when you are content in all circumstances, even the really crummy ones that I know a lot of us are walking through, when you find even like a moment, even like 45 seconds of like, hey, uh, okay, I'm good. Everything's okay. Acknowledge it. Sew the patches on your bag, girls. So pray about it. Ask God. Say this. Show me. I'm watching. Speak to me. I'm listening. Touch my life. I'm ready. And he'll do crazy stuff. You get ready. Get a journal because you're going to need to write it down. So pray about it. Ask him to show you those things. Show you those moments that he's in your life. What are those things you're an eyewitness to? Pay attention and tell people. I'm going to challenge you to tell anybody you want to tell about these things. Because I had a friend who was very bold. And she has pushed many of us in this room to be bold. And so today when we leave here, let's be bold together. Let's, uh, and, and you know, in the, in the spirit of the way we do Bible study here, we have a hashtag. <laughs> hashtag it. Put it on the Facebook page. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do, but share the fact that God has done things. You are an eyewitness. Let me pray. Close this up. Father, um, we want to stand on the mountaintops and tell what you've done. Uh, forgive us. Well, I confess right now that I am bad sometimes about taking your truth and these amazing, unbelievable things and stuffing them in a bag and hiding them. Um, God, will you convict each one of us in this room to be prayerful and to open our eyes and to pay attention to those things that you're doing that we just ignore? We want to be like John. We want to forget the whole beginning, the salutation, the whole stuff that doesn't matter. We want to get right to the meat of it, Lord. We know who you are. And we thank you that you came to make right everything that we do wrong. Thank you for your son. And thank you so much, Lord, for this place where we can come and learn about you. In Jesus' name, amen.